Hey everyone, I'm Amadal Yakbar and this is See Something Say Something. This week in our Ramadan series, we're talking to rapper Odyssey. I stand at so many crossroads, you know. My mother was Christian, my father was Muslim. I'm black American, I'm Sudanese. In the eyes of many Americans, they see me as a foreigner, especially growing up, you know, I was born and raised here. So Odyssey, also known as Amir Muhammad, is this incredibly prolific rapper and producer. Um, and each of his albums is like a whole world. The production is top-notch. The poetry and thoughtfulness in the lyrics. You could spend days thinking about it. And I wanted to know more about the person that makes this kind of work. Welcome. Do you prefer Odyssey or do you prefer Amir? Amir. Okay, Amir. I'm off duty. <laughs> You're off <Yeah>. duty. <laughs> Before we get into that, we're going to talk about your music. We're going to talk about, you know, Ramadan and all that. But sure. we have this game here that we play, which is uh, sort of freestyling on what your opinion on a topic, oh, boy. random topics. It's called okay. Halal or Not. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a word or phrase, and you're going to just give me whether you think it's halal or not. Sounds good? <laughs> okay. So the first one is instant coffee. Ma halal. <laughs> no. Not even in a pinch, no, right? No, no, no instant coffee. Absolutely not. <laughs> even if somebody, if you had no option for caffeine, just instant coffee, you won't drink it. I, I would. You would? I would. I separate coffee and caffeine. The, one of the your album covers yeah. has you actually holding it. Why, oh, does, yeah. why does it matter so much to you? I think it's a hobby. It's a pastime. You know, uh, I have a personality. I like to nerd out about things. Mm. So there's a few things that I nerd out about, and coffee is definitely one of them. Right. You it's know? so easy to nerd out about. Yeah. There's so much fun stuff you can do with it. Yeah, it's just great to have hobbies, I think, in general, and that's one that just kind of evolved over the years. Yeah, that's a hobby that also just completely, for me, dies during Ramadan. There's <laughs> just not, I just can't even keep it up. I have half a cup right after iftar oh, to nice. help digest. Nice. That's, yeah. that's a smart yeah. way to handle it. Because yeah. I end up staying up till like, you know, three in the morning anyway. So. Right. So this is a little bit um, a ways back now in the social media cycle. Things move so fast, but I think it's still on a lot of people's minds sure. is This Is America, the Donald Glover song. Hello. And video. Fantastic. <laughs> Tell me your thoughts on it. I just thought the subtleties and the, the hidden images and the message behind it was just so genius. My favorite thing about it, actually, is the simplicity of it and how, how complex it is to be simple. Hmm. You know, a, a lot of people discuss um, the meanings of the video visually, but I think musically, uh, it kind of even tells a story from West Africa through the diaspora. Hmm. It goes from West African music with Calypso influence. It goes into choral music, field music, and, and, and hymns, the way the harmonies are... are, are Played and then it goes into trap music. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Don't get you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. So it even musically tells a story right, of right. blackness, which I thought was one of my, my favorite parts of it. Right. Yeah, you said you were very inspired by it. Yeah, yeah totally. Want, it made you really want to get back into music. Yeah, yeah. I just haven't really been, and it's, a very, it's almost cliche, I haven't really been that excited by a lot of rap. Hmm. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into that yeah, more. I'm sure yeah. later. Um, double apple shisha, halal or not? It depends on which brand. <laughs> You're a connoisseur. Al Fakhr, yes. <laughs> Afzal, no. What's the other one? Nakhla, yes. Fumari, 
No, I'm a big Fumari fan, but no, it depends on the brand. But yes, of course, it's a classic. I actually don't know the differences between those brands <laughs> at all because I've only, I actually only really started this year. This is the second thing I nerd out about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we saw that. We yeah. saw that. That's, um, how are you feeling about all the rap beef, the Pusha T versus Drake uh, beef that just recently dropped as of this recording? Can I go ahead and give that a big not hello? I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not interested. I don't really care. I, I'm such a fan of music. Mm. I don't really care about uh, the investigative journalism that's going into the disses. I've heard them, you know, just yeah. so I can keep up with the times and know right. what's going on. But I just prefer good music. I don't really, the whole beef thing, I think I did that back in the battle rapping days. I've kind of just kind of gotten bored with it. Right, yeah. right. And I think the last one before we wrap, changing diapers. Hello, always. <laughs> I keep you, my baby clean. You have a daughter, right? I have a daughter. She's I love so, her to death. She's so precious. <laughs> oh, we thanks, were man. sharing pictures back and forth of how cute she was. Thank you. Before Thank you, you came in here. She's awesome, man. So I want to talk about your music. Um, you have released so many albums. There's like over a dozen of them on your band camp. Um, but the album that really struck me was Al Wasta, which is an EP released in 2016. And I think the album cover is like a, you know, an amazing example of the kind of artist you are. It's a postage stamp of yourself and everything on the postage stamp um, is written in Arabic and English. So it says Odyssey on the top in Arabic and English. It says EP and Al Wasta in Arabic and English. And it's got this like amazing hand-drawn picture of you. Um, and, you know, a lot of the music is about traveling. Been on the road for quite some time now. And route to work is the only time that I wind down. All your music is really, really uh, honed and just, you know, easy to listen to. So can you tell me about how that album was made? Sure. Um, I had a week to make an album. So I bring in my musicians. So I made a whole bunch of beats. I use uh, electronic instruments to make music, and then I bring in live instrumentation to play over top of it. So I made a call to my keyboardist, Ralph Washington, down in York, Pennsylvania. I got him to come up the next day, and he was playing over tracks. And then I called my homie, Jason Dessou, down the street. He's a trumpet player. He just happened to be in town. He came through. I called my graphic designer, Ahmed Akasha, in London and said, I really need artwork ASAP. And he's like, what do you have? I was like, well, let me think about it. I go online and I found this fan art from this guy in Ohio, this Ghanaian kid. He drew this illustration of me based on a photo I took in New Zealand. I said, hey, can I use this for an album cover? He's like, sure. So I give that to Ahmed and I said, I want to do a stamp, like a Middle Eastern mm, stamp. Mm -hmm. And he's like, all right. So I sent it to him and then he's like, well, what do you want to do about the Arabic? And I called my homie Bentley Brown, who's an Arabic English teacher in Saudi Arabia and runs a graphic design department. Whoa. <laughs> and Bentley had his class work on the translation where we decided to use the Persian P because there's no P in Arabic. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Versus EB. Oh, for, yeah, because it says EP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So they worked on that while I was working on the music. And then I realized I couldn't have made any of this happen without Wasta. So that's where the title came what, from. What is Wasta? Wasta, mean? Wasta is like um, the power of having connections. It's like mm. being the plug. It's, uh, it's, like, it's like clout, mm. you know? Right. I just, like, there's just so much power in that cover. It's like a great piece of just <laughs> art for me. Like, I, I, like, you know, put it on my 
mental Pinterest. Oh, I guess. my God. Thank you. <laughs> I, lo- I love that cover so much. I'm always trying to tell the story of my identity. And my mother's African-American and my father's Sudanese. So my logo is always coupled in English and in Arabic mm. to just kind of be a symbol of my own identity. Wh- what exactly is the story of your identity that you're, you're trying to tell? I stand at so many crossroads. You know, my mother was Christian. My father was Muslim, is Muslim. Both of them are their, their faiths. Um, I'm black American. I'm Sudanese. And the eyes of many Americans, they see me as a foreigner, especially growing up, even though I was born and raised here. Mm. To Sudanese people, I'm not quite Sudanese. To Americans, I'm not quite American, especially in the black community. Right. You know, and I've always felt comfortable being who I am. I've, I've always been a bridge between the two, hearing all the cliches and the stereotypes that either or throws at one another. I always want my music to be the music that is explaining something, peril. You know, whether it be race or politics or the music industry itself. Instead of chastising it, I always want to be the voice that explains it to whoever wants to listen to an explanation. One of the songs that I thought really um, solidified that like sort of in the middle uh, position that you often take is um, You Grew Up, where you tell a story of like two people who, I mean, I don't know if you actually grew up with them, but, you know, yeah, like it's yeah. sort of like a story of of both a white friend who, you know, went on to be a cop and killed a, a black man and a uh Muslim kid who you know felt very alienated and you know uh, you know basically ends up um, suicide bombing. Yeah, you portray both of them with a lot of sympathy. Let me take it back to my childhood. Six flags still called Wildwood. Where I heard every race is a neighbor and we was working class trying to make it out of our hood. My best friend back then was a white kid. He was tidy like the same things I did. Despite us being You know, when you hear that first verse, you might think you would come down on him, but right. you obviously like tell a story and you don't really settle on demonizing him. Can you tell me a little bit about that like that i think that song could have been by other people would be written very differently yeah <laughs> which obviously could only be you but i'm just curious like i want to hear your thought process on, on building that kind of narrative well the, the narrative was pieced together by my own life and things that i was reading in the news and i wanted to put together a story that could put them all together um, i did grow up with a white kid in silver spring maryland and we were very close and we were friends and i moved to prince george's county maryland which is probably over 85% African-Americans, majority black. And as we grew older, um, we became very different and we stopped having things in common that we used to. And our musical tastes changed, our clothing tastes changed, Mm. the athletes we rooted for changed, and we just kind of just (laughs) strayed apart from one another. So when I was watching all of these events in the news about police shootings, I started to wonder especially with the white police officers, what was their childhood like? And it made me wonder about my friend that I grew up with. I was like, I wonder where he is now. You know, maybe he very well could be a police officer by right, now. Right. And the song started to put itself together. Right, right. Uh, There's a Sudanese kid in England, uh, came from a good family, and was uh, picked on quite often in school. He was very vulnerable and got approached to become an extremist and he became an executioner for ISIS. Mm. You can read about it in Mm. um, The Guardian. Guardian did an article on him, how my son became an ISIS executioner, what it's called. Yep, I actually do remember that headline. I don't know if I read it. He was Sudanese. Yeah. Hmm. And I saw that and I was like, I'm pretty sure I know people who know him, you know? And how did that happen? What, What happened? So I wanted to put all of these things together based on reality 
and what I was reading in the news, my own reality or someone else's, put them together in one song. Because I've always been that person who's had to explain um, why things are the way they are to my mother or to my father. Right. You know? Like, what's an example of, of that? Your mother <laughs> and your father, they ex- understand things sure. very differently from each other? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just in general, my Sudanese family and my American family, or the, the things that, that will come out of each other's mouths is like crazy. You know, my mother will, even though she married a foreigner, will have issues with what she believes because she watches, you know, Fox News, right, et cetera, right. of immigrants oh taking jobs. Huh. And, you know, not wanting to assimilate into American culture. And I'm like, you do realize that that's not the case. And she doesn't. And then I have to explain to her, you know, like most people who come here don't want to. They, they, they have to for some reason. They're, they're thinking anything is better because their governments and their industry was sabotaged by Western powers. And then they come to those places to seek refuge. Right. And that, someone has to explain that, you yeah. know. And then my father's side, you know, you know, Anna, I came to this country in 1976. Look what I have. And the black people here, يعني, they're not working the same way. I'm like, whoa, right, right. whoa, 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 whoa. Very like, common <laughs> thing that a lot of you, immigrants say. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, you do realize, like, systemic oppression and racism and slavery. They, they Like, this country will not leave black people mm. alone. Mm. They, they will never leave them alone. Like, every time they try to get a foot out of the, the, the hole... Someone comes and beats them down. Like, you have the privilege of coming from a socialist background into a capitalist. Black people are the only people in the world born into capitalism. I want to hear about your fans as well. You have, like, a lot of, like, very enthusiastic fans, I think. Yeah. My fans are really diverse. Mm. And it, it took a long time for that to even be reflected at shows. Um, I've got a lot of people in tech who listen to me. A lot of people code to my music. A lot of students study to my music. Yeah, it's um, great for writing. Seriously. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a lot of athletes who listen to my music. It's all over the place. Black, white, Asian, Muslim, Christian, atheist. They all listen to my music. I've been sent emails from soldiers during the Iraq war, saying mm. uh, particular songs kept them going. I got a huge Mormon following, apparently, when I went to Salt Lake City. <laughs> and I was, I was like, why do I have fans? And they were like, well, you got this song called On a Pill, where you talk about planning as if you live for an eternity, but living every day if it's your last. So I live every day like it's my last, but I plan for tomorrow as if I will never pass. A fur on the subway, you never dream the jets. Like, that's totally Mormon. I was like, oh. <laughs> Wow, I didn't know. Like, <laughs> That's like, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, crazy. I have a lot of diverse fans. So um, you have this huge swath of fans who listen to you for different things. And your music is very chill. It's very danceable. But also the lyrics and poetry are like very beautiful and subtle off, oftentimes. And like really, for instance, you can you know criticize Donald Trump without even... Um, mentioning his name. So somebody could like go through that song and not realize that's the criticism. Does does it bother you ever for those things to be separated or do you have like separate out the, the music and the poetry in some ways in terms of how your fans interact with your music? Sure. I write in layers so that however you want to perceive what you're listening to is fine by me. There's always uh, different levels to it where if you want to dig deeper into what it is I'm saying, you'll know that I'm talking about something far more serious. But if you don't and you simply just want to enjoy the music, 
the message doesn't take away from the entertainment. Mm. And I've, I've always written in late. Well, not always, but it was a conscious decision right around the time where I realized, you know, I wanted people to enjoy music for the sake of it. Um, yeah, it was something that I just paid attention to listening to fans and other artists and the complaints that people had about independent music being overly preachy and mm. chastising and mm. self-righteous. So I always want to deliver some type of heavy subject matter and context, but I don't want it to take away from people being able to enjoy the music. I look up to Marvin Gaye a lot for that. I feel like he was able to make a song that you could play at a barbecue, but if you wanted to realize right. and listen to the lyrics of it, it was quite heavy. Right. You know, but one didn't take away from the other. Right. Now that makes that makes sense. That makes sense. So let's 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 talk a little bit about um your career as an artist and um you know where where you're at now. Um yeah. can you tell us like how how does the Amir of today look at the Amir who is like rapping in like middle school, high school? Oh man. The Amir today if, if I had a time machine. <laughs> Seriously. Um there's a level of maturity and understanding of business that goes with me now that I didn't have when I initially started off. Especially as an independent rapper, as an underground artist, I came about during a time where it was very anti-mainstream music. Right. And your subject matter was basically about how rap should be versus mm-hmm. making songs about life itself. Yeah, yeah. And uh, most of my subject matter as well was about that. And then as the years would go by, and a means to um, make music that people would want to listen to, I started listening to people. And I had nephews, my, my cousins actually were like, you know, Amir, everybody when they get off of work, they don't want to listen to someone chastise them about mm. how music is supposed to sound mm. versus just enjoying themselves and being able to turn off their day and enjoy music. And that really sat with me. And it put me on a course of making songs about things other than rapping about rapping. Where do you see it today? Are you like a fan of a lot of the modern popular rap that's out there? Or? Oh, a massive fan. Okay, you are. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always listened to mainstream music, even in the beginning of my career. Right. But what I chose to make and discuss was vastly different. But I've always enjoyed mainstream music. I've always enjoyed top 40 music, mm-hmm. popular music, et cetera. It's not what I want to make. Right. But I really enjoy it. Right. Know? So, yeah, I listen to everything. Like what's what's what do you listen to right now? A lot of Drake. <laughs> I think he's <laughs> awesome. Everyone, yeah, as everyone is. Uh, Migos. Uh, I'm all over the place. I've been listening to the Scorpions, the Sudanese rock group from the '60s. Oh, okay. Got to write homie. that down. <laughs> Got to write that down. That sounds great. Uh, a good friend of mine named Giannis started a sub label called Habibi Funk. He's based in Berlin. He went all through North Africa and the Middle East digging for records that had been discarded and lost to time. And he got a lot of the rights for a lot of the music and remastered it and is releasing it from Morocco to Algeria to Libya yeah. to Sudan, Lebanon, everywhere. What is it called? It's again? called Habibi Funk. Habibi. Shout out to Giannis. I want to ask you something, actually, while we're on the topic of identity and music. Um, I've been reading Dr. Sawad's book on Islam and hip hop. What do you think the relationship is between those two things? I always felt like Islam was something that rappers were mm. um, as people, but not necessarily as rappers. And even for myself, I don't think that uh, I'm overtly Muslim on the mic. Right. There's definitely a relationship that goes between Islam and hip-hop, especially with um, the appreciation of Malcolm X and his message, his earlier messages especially, and how they resonated with the hip-hop community who were using the music to speak against injustice. Right. But by the time I came about in the hip-hop, 
faith and music weren't intertwined. And it just so happened that my favorite artists that really got me into rap were Muslim. Oh, like, Tribe Called Quest. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. I was, I was but I didn't say, know that, though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I had no idea Tribe was Muslim yeah. until much later. I was like, yeah. wait, what? Cute, cute Muslim. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? So obviously you've traveled a lot as an artist. Are there any moments that you think back to as like a learning moment also for yourself uh, while you were on the road? So many. I don't even know where to start. Massive eye-opener touring Europe and finding out that white people have culture. <laughs> it's like, wow, you guys come from somewhere. Like, you have culture, you have customs. Yeah, and yeah. long have different history. spices and... <laughs> different recipes yeah. like what? that was actually my experience going to like Italy as yeah, well I was like, like you guys come from somewhere <laughs> there's like this has been here for a long time yeah. and you guys have storytelling that's like not big I mean because it's so much of like white American you know what, they like, think set, white America tells us where everything else is ethnic and, and well and they ignore yeah. like so many white Americans ignore like the last 70 80 years you know what I mean like they think like their identity started after 65 you know what I mean like sure. now like that's really when like everything before that was like a whole different people like they were racist and we're not you know what i mean well they also they also have the privilege to for the most part ignore that they're european american where everyone else has to say what they are right and it was uh almost like a chip off my shoulder just just fell off when i saw when i saw that when i toured europe for the first time and realized that it was such a different place than america and to not see all white people as the same because coming from Prince George's County, Maryland, again, predominantly black, like I, I didn't know any white people for years, mm-hmm. didn't see any. Where I'm from, everyone's black, and then you go to a historical black college, and then you work for the District of Columbia government. And you can go practically your whole lifetime almost right. without interacting with anybody. Else, right, right. You know? So it was, eye, it was eye-opening for me. Hmm. Yeah. So um, this is something that I've like asked a lot of musicians, just because I'm always curious about it. Growing up as, like, a young Muslim, and this might not be your experience, um, I was just surrounded by folks with a lot of different opinions on both music's, like, halalness, but also specifically its relationship during Ramadan. Oh, yeah. Which is that people be like, oh, I don't listen to music during Ramadan. I don't listen to new music. Sure. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Do you have, like, any, like, aunties or uncles who give you crap about it, or do you have any thoughts on it? Um, I, my family's pretty liberal. Hmm. I can say that for the most part. What I do have, I oftentimes will have an interaction with fans via social media. Um, this is the first Ramadan in three years where I haven't been touring at the same time. Wow. And that's when I'll get, you know, the commentary of people yeah. being like, you're not supposed to be doing that. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I think it's a personal decision. There's no profanity in my music. My music is all about positivity. My shows are all after iftar. yeah yeah as they should be yeah for you you and for you know yeah for everybody everybody, i i see no no problem with it personally yeah i don't think that there's anything um within my own music that takes away from my spirituality right right Yeah. yeah it's interesting to me that oftentimes 
because when I hear that, I mean, I don't, I listen to music during Ramadan. I don't yeah. feel any sort of way. I've never felt like it has any effect on my spirituality. Sometimes it's even beneficial towards sure. it, you know? Sure. I'm not like trying to speak for those people, but I just know I have like a lot of folks in yeah, my yeah. life who are just like, that's just the time where I cut it out. And I always find that fascinating. It's it's healthy to have that diversity of opinion, though, yeah, I think, as well. Yeah, for sure. So I want to hear a little bit more about like the DMV. It seems like a very magical place and mythical place almost, <laughs> especially like a lot of my uh, East African friends. Yeah, about, so you're familiar. About it. A you're little familiar. bit. Like, okay. I don't really know because I'm... It's I, an oasis. It, yeah. it does feel like an oasis. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, I want to hear yeah. a little bit more about how that marked you. I mean, one of the only cities in America that was predominantly black, um, wealthiest population of African Americans in the United States, usually top five, Prince George's County, largest population mm-hmm. of Sudanese people in the United States, Largest population of Ethiopians outside of Ethiopia. Right. Yep. You yep. know, that like I know. Somalians, Iranians, Koreans, Vietnamese community, huge post-Vietnam. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's crazy. It's an amazing place, you know. To grow up black in America and see positive images of yourself everywhere, to see the full spectrum of humanity and mm. to not think that something was automatically wrong because you were black. And what I mean is is the criminal would be black. The police officer arresting the criminal is black. Mm. The lawyer is black. The judge is black. And the bailiff is black. And wow. so you, you don't grow up necessarily thinking that someone's against you because everyone is the same as you. Mm. you know, I didn't know it until I left and I toured the United States for the first time. And I saw the situation of black America everywhere else other than where I grew up in northern Prince George's County. I thought everywhere else had a balance like we did. Like, oh, there was poor parts of black neighborhoods and wealthy parts of black mm, neighborhoods. Right. I didn't know that the wealthy part wasn't really a thing. Right. So it's, it's definitely played a, a big role in, in my development and understanding privilege, understanding opportunity, and understanding that the narrative that is told about black people is simply just not true. Because when we are given an fair ground and, and an opportunity and a chance, we strive. You know? We, we we excel and we achieve when given the same opportunities as everyone else. Right. right. It's when we don't have them that right. we make the news. So, uh, where can people find your music? And uh, do you have anything that you want to, any music that's coming out soon that you want to wanna share? Uh, you can find my music on the internet, um, Apple Music, Spotify, anywhere where you look for music. Search for O double D I S double E Odyssey. I'm working on new music now. I just started writing recently. I probably will be coming out with music midsummer, early fall. Can't wait to see it. Catch me on tour. Uh, yeah. Uh, my my question for you is: You have a lot of albums. How do you when somebody like somebody wants to be like, oh, I want to really listen to your music. What do you what do you tell them to listen to? I kind of do a uh, Malcolm Gladwell blink assessment of them, <laughs> and based on what I gather from their appearance and their body language, I recommend a record. I think that they'll like. I see. I see. I see. <laughs> so I like you. Look like the good fight, and if you like that, then listen to Rock Creek Park. <laughs> if you like that, feel free to listen well, to anything what else. What would your assessment have been of me? Which was the album? Oh, it's totally good fight, totally Rock Creek Park. All right. Yeah, all totally, right. totally, totally, totally. Cool. Yeah, that is that is a good one. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, all right, thank you so much for joining us, Amir, and uh, Ramadan Mubarak. Shukran, Ramadan Mubarak. Thank you, man.
So just another reminder that we are streaming Ramadan Lunch Break, a live stream little talk show that I'm co-hosting with Nabiha Sayed um, on the See Something, Say Something Facebook and Twitter pages every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time. Actually, the next week is our last episode, but you can catch the rest of them on our socials. This episode was produced by Megan Dricci, Rana Akbari, Julia Ferlin, Cece Allen, and me. Additional production support from the Pod Squad. Our music is by the Caminas. You can find them at caminas.bandcamp.com. Find me on Twitter at RadBrownDads and on Tumblr. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ooh, we have an Instagram now. <laughs> Email us at say something at buzzfeed.com. You can find my writing also at buzzfeed.com. Leave us a review on iTunes so more people can find us. I'm Amadal Yakber. Thanks for listening.